Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We are born free, and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Really excited about today's episode, today's guest. We're going to get to that shortly. But first, I want to tell you about uh, a new perk that um, I have added to the Lions of Liberty Pride. With I'm going to try to do this with all of my guests, a, a bonus segment, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes. Um, Really digging deeper into the topics discussed on uh, on that show. So this week with my guest Joshua Rayner, um, planned on doing 15 minutes bonus, and we talked for about 35 minutes. So if you want to get that bonus content, all you have to do is join the Lions of Liberty Pride. Um, you can go to Patreon.com/slash Lions of Liberty or Lions of Join for as little as five bucks a month, and you'll get access to that bonus content. There's a, it's really easy to actually add the uh, the Patreon bonus feed to your your podcast player. You can add it in. So after you listen to to today's episode, you can just jump over and listen to that uh, that bonus conversation. So please check that out. And of course, last week um, I had the uh, the conversation with the founder of Masa Chips, uh, Stephen Arena also known as Really Tan Man on Twitter. And we did a bonus segment too, talking about the, the chip making process and digging deeper into those details. So join the Pride to get that stuff. And also, if you're in the Pride, if you've forgotten, we have a perk for Run Your Mouth Coffee where you can get 10% off at the $10 and up levels uh, in the Pride. So join the Pride, drink coffee, Run Your Mouth Coffee. It's a, a company that I founded with my friend, Ben Panji. Um, it's awesome, awesome coffee. And uh, if you follow us on the social medias, especially on Instagram and uh, and Facebook, you'll see that we support free speech and uh, you're going to agree with basically everything we post. So support like-minded people. Uh, join the pride and support Run Your Mouth Coffee. That's all I got for today's show. The uh, For today's intro, I should say, the show itself is is incredible. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this. Um, I've wanted to talk to Joshua for many months now and uh, definitely um, turned out great. The interview turned out you know, even better uh, than I could have expected. So looking forward to uh, hearing the feedback from you all. Let's get into today's show. All right. Well, we are live now to the Lions of Liberty Pride, and uh, I'm joined here today by Joshua Rainier. Uh, Joshua is a raw milk propagandist. I'm just going to read his Twitter profile um, bio because I think I think it's pretty cool how he summarizes it. A raw milk propagandist, a regenerative farmer, a ranch butcher, and a sunshine maximalist. He's also the host of a brand new podcast, I think just within this, this month here. It's called Rainier Radio. Joshua, welcome to Finding Freedom. Thank you, John, for having me. Well, thanks for having. Thanks for coming on the show. I can't speak. I just got out of like a, a three-hour training I did, so I got to got to gather myself. But thanks for coming on the show, man. I think the first time that I saw you was uh, if you remember a uh, an appearance you did on the Kingpilled podcast. I do. That was a really fun one. <laughs> yeah. So um, it was with Matthew uh, Erickson and uh, his co-host at the time, Stephen, and you. And I tuned into the live stream. 
and you all looked exactly the same. You all had <laughs> yeah. you know, those long flowing hair. You had the, you all had beards. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? But uh, so people saw it, you it there, and, like and we they were, see you now. <laughs> it seemed like people were we were like part of the, some little club or something, um, yeah. which is funny. And yeah, now I have a drastic uh, uh, appearance shift. I just shaved my head and face everything for the first time in over 10 years this last week, <laughs> my son just had yeah. his first birthday and, uh, I don't know. I was just kind of feeling, uh, I needed a break. <laughs> my son oh, was, dude, what, was grabbing what on was my hair and stuff. And what was your son's reaction to it? You know, honestly, like I had had this idea maybe a month or two ago and I was like, ah, no, you know what? I can't do that. Cause it's going to freak him out. And I don't want to tra- <laughs> traumatize him like that. But, uh, he, you know, he looked at me kind of strange and funny and was like, who is that? But then within, you know, 20 minutes, he was, he totally forgot about it. Cause I guess I sound and smell the same. And honestly, I wonder that you probably handled it better than he would have if he was a little bit older, maybe. But, uh, yeah, I kind of, I freaked out definitely like my, my, my mom quite a bit, but, uh, besides it, you know, everything you know, it's, it's my new normal. Now I'm still having a hard time. Every time I look in the mirror, I'm like, okay, (laughs) this is me, I guess. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I I think it's good in life to have changes like that, either changes to your appearance. And really the only way to do like a drastic, like overnight change to your appearance is like either shaving a beard or or cutting your hair. um, You can't really like, you know, get in shape and lose 20 pounds overnight. So that's a, uh, I think, I think it's a healthy thing to do to, uh, to change things up. Well, yeah. I but, mean, mo- like you said, all these uh, things that we do to ourselves are like this thing over time, right? Like I remember when mm-hmm. I grew out my hair and I grew out my beard, it was just kind of this like daily patience kind of a thing. And you have, you can't just like, Oh, I want long hair now. You know, you have to actually sit there and wait for it to happen. And usually, you know, you kind of, the more you think about it, the longer it takes, right? Like a watch pot never boils sort of thing. <laughs> and then before you know it, you have long hair and a big beard. Um, and so it is strange. Like you said, it's right. Maybe the only thing that you can do besides maybe like, you know, getting a giant face tattoo or something <laughs> that you can like Mike instantly. Tyson. Yeah. Change your appearance. Um, so I'm still like, it's still weird. I am enjoying just like rubbing my, my fuzzy head and not having to worry about, <laughs> you know, deep brushing it in the shower and stuff like that. So it's, it's quite a relief for sure. That's funny. Uh, we, we were talking pre-show about your, your new podcast and how I listened to your, your first episode, episode zero of uh, Rainier radio. And you talked pretty much your, your entire, or seemingly to me, it seemed like your entire journey with uh, diet. And when I say diet, I don't mean like going on a diet. I mean like diet of what you're eating. Like, uh, in that, uh, in that way. And I want to get into some of that stuff, but I think a good starting point is, um, the pinned post on your Twitter. And I've actually been thinking about this a lot. I'm actually buying my first, uh, raw milk tomorrow, which is kind of funny. Um, took me a while. I'm in Pennsylvania and there's crazy laws about raw milk. Yeah. But you have all the Amish farmers there. So there's there's a lot of, of good raw milk in Pennsylvania. Honestly, some of the best pasture, if, really? uh, if people take care of it. So there's some really good quality stuff there. Well, that's, that's good to know. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm first going down that path and your pinned tweet is talking about how, um, lactose intolerance is, uh, is bullshit. And I think it's a really, really cool informative thread. I was wondering if you could kind of, kind of talk about that and, and expand on it to start with. Sure. So, um, you know, there's this, I wouldn't, well, yes, like a misconception, but just kind of the way that we frame things usually is kind of missing the mark or it's reductionist. And so we have identified that there is a sugar in milk called lactose and that some people produce more lactase endogenously, which is the enzyme that breaks down lactose in their body. Mm -hmm. Now this can be, there's a, a genetic component to this, right? Like the actual peoples who started, um, uh, keeping animals for milk. And so, you know, I could go down a whole kind of history thing, but to kind of, you know, try to simplify it as much as possible. Uh, yeah. So some people do have a better innate ability to deal with, um, lactose, but mm-hmm. also when we talk about innate, you know, we think of this as this, like, this is ge- a genetic, uh, 
um, blanket, right? So you either had this thing and it was sort of in you from before you existed or you didn't have this thing as opposed to like the state of your being, right? Like you as an individual are a person in this moment who may or may not have a certain amount of the lactase enzyme in their body. Mm -hmm. So um, raw milk right, which means unpasteurized, unhomogenized, is milk that hasn't had this heat applied to it artificially. So the milk comes out of a cow's udder at around like 101, 102 degrees, which is the cow's body temperature. And in this state, the milk has certain properties. It has certain vitamins, it has certain minerals, it has enzymes, bacteria that make up this kind of um, natural or even like virgin state of milk. And when you apply heat to it, which is, you know, pasteurization. Sometimes it's as low as 140 degrees. Sometimes it's more like full boiling, 212 degrees. You are going to denature and alter the entire composition of this. Um, the Western You're going to kill all of the bacteria, right? You're killing right. Well, that, that's that's why they're doing it, right? Yeah. Pa- pasteurization comes from Louis Pasteur, right? Yeah. And so that is basically applying his principles to health. And that sort of come, goes along with this, you know, very convoluted, you know, germ theory of disease. And, you know, we could spend hours and hours talking about that. Well, um, it's, it's funny because I actually talked about this um, with my guest last week um, about pasteurization, about Louis Pasteur and the reason why it started because they brought the cows into cities and they were, they were feeding the cows like literal garbage and uh, just like waste from uh from distilleries and stuff like that. And these cows got diseased and that caused people to, you know, get sick and die. And instead of saying, Oh, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't bring these cows into cities and feed them garbage. They just said, Oh, we'll just boil all the milk and kill everything in it. Yeah. You know, if if you look at um, a lot of people will show kind of graphs of different rates of diseases and just all kind of all kinds Mm -hmm. of problems. And all of these graphs start sometime after the beginning of the industrial revolution. And so what they show is that they're essentially saying before there were all these problems and then now due to technology and all these, um, you know, whether it be vaccines or some type of intervention, we have reduced the cause of disease. So like hooray, science and medicine. But of course, that only starts at a certain time. It's not like going back to time immemorial. It's just like, well, it's like 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, so once we started developing these types of modern cities, industrial revolution, um, things got way worse because we didn't really know what we were doing and, you know, pe- putting people and animals too close together, yeah, bad quality food. Um, and so then all these things got really bad and then they implemented these things and then they go, oh, look, they got better. These things saved as if like the natural state of milk or disease was this terrible thing. Right. As opposed to just uh, you kind of undid the problem that you created, but you didn't actually undo it. You just went around it. So it looks like you solved the problem. And um, created other problems by solving right. the problem. So if you, you can look at charts of all these different uh, quote unquote infectious diseases and then say, oh, look, like the vaccine and was introduced and now all these diseases that, you know, they don't really exist very much anymore. But, you know, you actually look at it and it's like, well, most of these vaccines were introduced after the massive decline in the rates of, of said disease. And then you're mm-hmm. also discounting like um, all kind of hygiene, water, sanitation, all these different changes that happen at the same time. So um, going back to the, to the raw milk thing, um, the Weston A. Price Foundation has done really incredible work on this. They run a website called realmilk.com. And you can find all these old articles and, and um, there's one that has all these uh, uh, like electron microscope shots of different types of milk. And if you look at just pure raw milk fresh, it has – it very much resembles uh, like blood, right? And so there's actually this saying like, like milk basically is blood without like the red blood cells. Um, and so then when you pasteurize it, you know, you look at these pasteurized, homogenized, this, you know, ultra high temp pasteurized, this thing, that thing, you've kind of like obliterated the cell structure of the milk. You've destroyed all the bacteria, you've destroyed the enzymes. And so when you're, when you're thinking of raw milk in particular, you're thinking of this kind of, it's really like a living, uh, almost organism as a food. 
and it, it has a microbiome to it. And it, a microbiome mm-hmm. is basically like this ecosystem, right? That's what like a biome is. And it's, it, it, by being an ecosystem, it already has self-regulation in place. So when you, they're really in, in nature, there's no such thing as a sterile environment. If you sterilize something, whether you use, you know, heat or chemicals, it is sterile in that moment, but other things will find, you know, it, it, it's like a vacuum. It will always be filled. Right. And so there's a, I posted this picture, um, maybe some months ago, and I got it from Weston A. Price where it showed they left a bunch of different kinds of milk out in jars open on the counter over, um, I don't know, a number of weeks or something. And the, the, the most processed and pasteurized milk started to putrefy and get all kinds of weird bacterial things going on in there. Whereas the raw milk maintained its, um, its bacterial environment, its biome, because, you know, most antibiotic, right. Think about what penicillin is. It's bacteria. Antibiotics are bacterial based. It's like introducing uh, a predator to regulate a species in the wild. And so these bacteria yeah, you just, you just look at the look at the word itself, antibiotics. So it's right. antibacteria. On, on conversely, probiotics are, you know, they are probacteria. They they right. are forming more bacteria, right? But it, it it's still it's very much a misnomer because they're both just for the most part bacteria. Antibiotics are bacterial based and probiotics are bacterial based. Mm-hmm. And so it's just this kind of weird, like there's a very, very big uh, misunderstanding of, of really how bacteria work. And so, you know, you, you're basically introducing a, well, okay, within the raw milk, you basically have like um, a, a defense army, right? And mm-hmm. the bacteria are just people of your army. Mm-hmm. And then they're fighting against all these other peoples of like invading, you know, bands and tribes coming. And if you just were to like, just nuke the whole thing just kill everyone, kill all of the people on your side, kill the invaders. You might have this just empty, you know, uh, landscape for a while until some new nomadic people came and found it and then would like set up shop. Um, So whenever you are destroying bacteria, you always have to be careful of what can then take its place. Um, And so the, uh, in raw milk, you know, there's people probably familiar with lactobacillus bacteria. Mm-hmm. And these bacteria actually produce lactase themselves and they can break down lactose, which is why something like yogurt is very well tolerated by many people who can't digest milk, you know, usually pasteurized milk, because the bacteria have already begun this process of breaking down the lactose. You know, if you look at the thing of yogurt and it says all these strains, L acidophilus, which is lactobacillus acidophilus, mm-hmm. L bulgaris, all these types. Um, and so by consuming, many people um, can develop a higher uh, endogenous lactase production by eating lots of yogurt. So if they can't digest milk, they can eat lots of yogurt and then can digest milk. Or conversely, you can drink raw milk, which has those bacteria in them as well, but they're not quite as far along in the process. And as, uh, as you, you know, I, you can, like, I think it's referred to in like some other concepts, like exposure theory. I'm pretty sure but I've heard. When like, you say they're, they're not quite as far along in the process. You mean they're not as numerous or they're not as well, like, resilient so or in the yogurt, right? This fermentation process is fermentation is bacteria breaking down sugar. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you, it, as a byproduct, it produces, you know, alcohol. Um, and so raw milk is not fermented yet, but if you leave it, if you, you know, you can, I've made yogurt and cheeses by just, you know, leaving people who grew up in, you know, maybe a more rural life might be familiar with clabbered mm-hmm. milk, which you just leave the milk on the jar in a cupboard and it starts to curdle and ferment and starts to break down. So the, something like yogurt or cheese is just, it's already done that. Um, whereas, uh, milk hasn't done that yet, but by drinking it and just exposing yourself to milk in general, I've even heard of people just who drink pasteurized milk, who by just continually drinking milk, improve their ability to digest milk because you are upregulating enzymes in the body signaling, Mm -hmm. Hey, we are getting this thing coming in. So we are going to try to produce more of this thing, but just drinking raw milk itself makes that process a lot easier. Yeah. That makes sense. You're, you're creating the diversity in your gut. 
to be able to digest it, right? Yeah. To a certain yeah, extent. Yeah, because the, the, the lactase is produced in the gut by bacteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty interesting. I, I did get a couple comments here. I want to show this one because it kind of leads into my next question. So, uh, Stephen Ellis, well, definitely not Stephen Ellis, Mr. Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> says, uh, raw goat's milk from a localish Amish community is the best I've ever had. I, I think I, I saw you tweet out a couple weeks ago um, about sheep's milk. So, could you talk about maybe some of the different benefits between like cow's milk compared to goats and sheep's milk? So in that thread, I linked to, uh, well, I, I briefly mentioned A2 milk, and I also linked to another thread I did entirely about A2 milk. And so this refers to the type of casein proteins in the, in the milk. So a lot of people, if you've been into fitness, you know, everyone knows what whey protein is, right, as a supplement. Mm-hmm. And there's also, which is a lot less well-known, there's casein protein. And they're both milk-derived. And, you know, if, if you've remember little Miss Muffet, right, it's little Miss Muffet sat in her tuffet eating her curds and whey. So if you take a jar of raw milk and you leave it on the counter, it will start to separate and curdle, creating cheese curds and then this clear liquid, which is the whey. And so, you know, whey is a, bri- a byproduct of cheese making which is why they had all this extra way. And they're like, what do we do with this? Let's, oh, it turns out that has all these really good um, properties for muscle building. Let's sell it as a, as a supplement. So there also is casein, which in the bodybuilding community is kind of viewed as more as this uh, slower digesting protein. So mm-hmm. in traditional bodybuilding kind of uh, methodology, you would drink whey, you know, right after a workout to immediately get protein in, in this, you know, quote unquote, uh, anabolic window. And then casein is something that you would eat right before bed. That way you would continuously be getting a slow flow of protein and amino acids into the system. Um, So there's, you know, I'm, I'm not certainly not like a a molecular biologist or anything. This is just my, my quote unquote doing my research. Um, And so in, in the protein itself, there's these chains of amino acids and there's a, a, they call it beta, beta, beta casein chain. And in a certain position of this chain of amino acids, they are in a very specific order. There is um, an A1 milk, which is if milk isn't labeled as such, and from its from its a cow, it's going to be A1, which was a, a mutation that coincided with the breeding of cows for milk production. So A1 sort of is correlated with a higher overall milk production of the of the milk, and so you know people who were breeding cows for milk were like more milk. That means more better. Right. And so it started to change the actual property of the milk. And so in a one milk in this specific position is the amino acid histidine and histidine breaks down into histamine, which can cause a number of, you know, allergic reactions. Everyone's very familiar with histamine probably. Right. And also this, uh, beta casein morphine seven, there's a bunch of different types of beta casein morphines. Uh, I'm not super, uh, you know, well-versed on all of them, but you know, the word morphine in this name is sort of this like opioid receptor type thing. And mm-hmm. that itself can cause a lot of, of health issues as well. It can be harder to break down. And so for a lot of people who can't die, uh, they say they can't digest cow's milk. They can digest goat milk. No problem. Goat milk is really the only other easily available milk you can get in stores besides cow milk. Now all goat milk, all sheep milk, all horse milk, all camel milk, all water buffalo milk, human milk, you know, donkey milk, whatever mm-hmm. it is, those are all A2. Um, and only there are, there's also A2 cow's milk, which, you know, you have to do genetic testing and then purp- purposefully breed for those characteristics. And so that is going to have this different profile. And so a lot of people, there's other differences between different animal milks, but a lot of people who have this A1 issue do not have problems with A2 milk. A farmer that I used to work for, you know, he did raw milk and his, he had three sons, but one of them still couldn't digest the raw milk where all of the rest of his, you know, family could. And so he started learning about A2 milk. And, and then, so his son never had problems with raw A2 milk, but he did have problems with raw A1 milk. So interesting. Um, if you there, like I said, there are other properties and there are some people out there who feel that 
uh, that aside, goat milk is quote unquote healthier or better. And there may or may not be something to that. I think it's really just an individual um, difference kind of thing. Um, but my favorite milk is sheep milk. Sheep milk is of course also a two. It has about double the, the protein and, uh, and fat of something like cow's milk. So, you know, when, when you, you you remember, you like, there's the classic thing. I'm pretty sure this happened to like everyone in our generation. I'm assuming you're like a millennial. Um, and you know, pretty much, I think it's probably started with us just as people got more removed from things. And so everyone knows that there's such thing, such a thing as whole milk. And then there's like 2% milk. And they think that whole milk is 100%. And then <laughs> all the way from 100 down to 2%. Right. But, but like, you know, uh, conventional whole milk is just like three and a half percent. Right. Mm-hmm. So they just reduced the amount of fat content in it from, okay, by volume, it was three and a half percent down to 2% or 1% or, you know, the non-fat milk. But, you know, if you get a, uh, grass-fed, pasture-raised Jersey cow on like a really good farm. That milk is probably closer to you know five, seven, eight, you know eight percent. Um, and uh, uh, goat milk, I believe, is around seven or eight, and I think sheep milk is like closer to ten. Wow. Um, so depending on like what version of cow's milk you're you're talking about, it can be about double the fat. And it, you know it has like just various different nutritional profiles. I think I'm sure it's higher in potassium. I know because I looked it up specifically. Um, I honestly, I'm just kind of a fan of all all the milks. Um, and the more that I consumed, you know, lots of raw A2 cow's milk, raw goat milk, raw sheep milk. I've had camel milk. I've had water buffalo milk. Um, I've had human <laughs> milk. Um, I can pretty much digest any form of milk now. Whereas before I could not, you know, just eat willy nilly, you know, um, whether it be something like cheese at a restaurant or even just milk from the store, I -hmm. can now go to the store and buy like whatever milk and digest it though. I still try to avoid doing that because if I can get as much raw milk as possible, I've noticed that just consuming this huge variety of milk has made my system a lot more, um, resilient and just better able to digest all the different forms of dairy. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to uh, you know trying it and incorporating it and like you know being consistent with it and seeing the changes that uh, that happen. Um, yeah, I mean but- it's it's a really nutritionally dense source uh, food source. You know, like it's mm-hmm. <laughs> people's basically lived off of nothing but various dairy products, right? A lot of these cultures they would have all different kinds of yogurts and cheeses and alcoholic beverages made from. From milk. I have a, a thread on Mongolian dairy. They have like a, you know, a fermented uh, alcoholic horse milk. They have a yak milk vodka. Mm. Uh, it's a very versatile food, and it's like I said, it's very dense and a lot of nutrients. Everyone knows about calcium um, in milk, but you know, if you don't consume dairy, there really aren't a lot of good sources of calcium. Like you're pretty much just kind of left to if you've ever heard of like the eggshell thing, you can grind and boil the eggshells as like a calcium supplement in a sense but otherwise you're kind of dependent on something like spinach for calcium which is not really a good form for your body anyways and uh, a ton of it a ton of it whereas you could just drink a glass of milk and eat some cheese here and there and your your health will be a lot better off for it yeah so i I was talking earlier about your you know initial episode zero podcast where you went through your entire um you know really your i hate using the word like journey health journey (laughs) but i guess that's what it is yeah um so in addition to you know raw milk and and all that stuff, you've you've gone through a you know a period of time, and I, I don't know if you still are now, where you were eating raw raw meat, right? And I think you said you started that back in 2013, I, I believe. So I'm just curious if you can talk about what what led you to that, and you know really your your journey through that part of your life. Yeah, so um, you know I started working out at a young age, like 11, 12 years old you know, doing pushups and sit-ups at every commercial break while I was watching TV, started going to the gym with my dad and I played a lot of sports. And so, you know, you get to high school, hitting the weight room for football and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, like what you're eating, you're not just like, I'm hungry. I'm just eating food. You're kind of like, I'm yeah. trying to do something. It really was just like, how do I get huge protein powder, pasta, you know, lots of meat and just like everything. And, uh, 
when I got into college, I started really just kind of going a lot more into it and trying to learn more, reading blogs. Um, and I started doing CrossFit back in 2011. And, and most people might know that paleo is like really big into CrossFit, right? It's this kind of like, oh, CrossFit is like the way that our, and obviously it's nonsense, but like that our ancestors might have like exercised as if they like actually exercise like that. Um, but it, it sort of, regardless of what you think on like that kind of approach to things, it brought up this evolutionary perspective, which looked at food as a supposed to, right? Like, what are we supposed to eat? And I was like, oh shit, that sounds really interesting. As mm-hmm. opposed to just food being this just like food is food. There's different foods that are better or worse for us. And it's not just as simple as like, oh, like McDonald's is bad. And then something that's like homemade is good. But like, why? What what differentiates mm-hmm. all these different foods? And so the, the paleo thing tends to really have a lot of keto, low carb stuff to it. Very meat heavy, you know, but kind of avoiding like, oh, sugar is just the devil. And so, you know, I mentioned it in that video, but like, I literally wouldn't eat a carrot because it had too many carbs kind of a thing. Like that level of retardation yeah. with like taking a diet that you don't really understand. Just being like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. Um, that was honestly like really just dumb. Um, I think I did a lot of damage to myself being in college partying. So of course, like drinking alcohol and all these things, which of course do have carbs and sugar in them. Mm-hmm. Um, but eating low carb, training a lot, you know, like I said, drinking a lot, not sleeping, intermittent fasting, you're just compiling all of the stress on the system. And when I got out of school, I was thinking like, okay, I really want to like kind of rein this in and, and do something a lot more intentional and well thought out. And my, uh, the CrossFit gym I was working at, my boss started, he was drinking raw milk. And he started kind of telling me about it because, you know, in, in paleo, like dairy's like, dairy's kind of hit or miss, but for a lot of people like, oh, dairy's not good. You can't digest dairy. And I was like, yeah, man, I got diarrhea when I have dairy. That makes sense. Totally. Yeah, of course. And so he's the one who first told me about Amos Miller, who's the Amish farm in Pennsylvania. If you ever have the chance to go out there and check it out, I would highly recommend it. I've never been there. But so I started ordering food from this Amish farm back in 2013. And so I was getting raw milk and getting various meats and getting, you know, oh, I started hearing about like, oh, liver, you should eat liver. And I was like, I didn't even know people ate liver. Sure. And started just getting like weird with it, so to speak. And I don't know what compelled me to eat it raw. I don't know if it was something that I read or someone told me about it. But I think along with the raw milk thing and what I was talking to my boss at the time, there was just like, oh, this is like these raw foods are really potent whatever that means. And so I started getting this raw liver and, you know, I'd put a little like lemon juice on it and it was really gross, but I was just like, all right, I'll do that. And, uh, I had kind of just had this inkling to want to eat. Like, you know, I had started eating some tartare just at restaurants. I was like, that sounds Mm -hmm. really good. And so I just started eating that stuff, um, just kind of on a whim. And I felt like I, I really enjoyed eating it. So I find tartare to be delicious. And I found these raw meats to be really easily digestible. Obviously, like, you know, sushi is a very common thing that people eat. And I was like, yeah, man, mm-hmm. I love sushi. There's something about this cold, um, almost like um, crisp texture before you kind of cook something and it kind of softens up and changes a little bit. And so I just kind of started experimenting with all these various foods simultaneously really putting a lot more emphasis on my training, eating a lot more uh, carbs and kind of focusing more on like, okay, making sure I fuel my training properly. Okay. How do I tweak my nutrition to get the, you know, the body composition that I desire to want to put on muscle, to want to burn fat. And in that sphere, because, you know, I, I was doing CrossFit, I was competing in strongman, uh, training, powerlifting and all these things, doing some bodybuilding, everyone kind of in my uh, like adjacency is sort of trying to do these same things. And so you see a lot of people who like start eating these very fake foods to make them fit their macros. Uh, some people have probably heard like the kind of saying, if it fits your macros, basically mean you can eat whatever you want as long as it fits your macros, which mm-hmm. means are you eating the right amount of protein, fat, and carbs in a day? If you do that, that'll control for your calories. But I also had this like, man, there's this quality thing is really important. So like eating mostly like grass-fed meat, 
and, um, you know, good sources of carbs, rice, potatoes, things like that. And I would still, you know, eat whatever I wanted from time to time. Um, but this, this quality thing was always this really big push. It was almost this like deep, deep seated, like religious fervor. And mm. well, well, I left a lot of flexibility, you know, to eat out with my friends and things like that. And I, I would notice these like certain shifts when I would eat better or worse and how I was feeling and not just in the way that I looked, you know, a lot of people just use that as the sole metric, but I'm like, no, I mean, yeah, I look good, but I know I, why do I feel better this time and other time? And so I, I, I think that that's honestly like the most important thing to like, you're, you're fueling your body. You should you know, look at how did that make me feel? I ate a whole pizza. How do I feel? You know, I ate, I ate some clean protein. Oh, I feel much better. I, I, people don't think about food that way for some reason. That often. Well, you know, it's because everyone, I think the main thing is because most people are so out of shape that, mm-hmm. and yes, they're also unhealthy, but they look at themselves in the mirror and they go, oh man, I'm fat or I'm skinny and I don't look good and I want to change this. That's not a bad thing to be like, oh, I don't feel like my body represents a good picture of health, mm-hmm. but they don't actually focus on the health. They just focus on the picture. Yeah. And so that's how you get to people who like, yeah, might have a good amount of muscle and might be really lean, but you know, they're not very healthy or that their skin looks really bad. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I think it's good to, to have that concept of the image in play because I do think a healthy body creates a beautiful body. But if you make that the fo- like what you should, you should seek health in general, and then the aesthetics will come as a byproduct of that. Mm-hmm. And as you get closer to health, you can fine tune that if you want to put a little bit more emphasis on the aesthetics. And a lot of people are driven to health by first putting the emphasis on the aesthetics, but then it's really easy to get, to get lost in it. And um, I'd kind of just stayed in this kind of similar, you know, tracking my macros, eating high carbs because I understood its importance in training and performance. Um, cause of course, like if I didn't eat carbs, my performance suffered. It's like, okay, that's a signal back to my body that I need to eat these carbs, um, while keeping quality in check. And I kind of stayed there until about like 2019 when, you know, this carnivore thing had gotten just really popular. It was all over, Joe Rogan and everyone was doing it. You know, she hears Sean Baker and Jordan Peterson's doing it. And for some reason, you know, I'd always had this kind of like some, you know, intestinal distress that I was trying to solve. And I didn't really think about changing my diet too much because I was like, well, this is like working. Okay. But then I was like, I don't, I don't want just, okay. I want to feel better. I noticeably have something about my body that I don't feel great about. So I want to change this. And so, um, I finally decided to just kind of dive into the carnivore thing at the end of 2019. Um, and it felt great. I did it and I felt great, man. Those first couple of weeks, those first few months, just like, you know, the biggest thing is that when I did that, the quality of my diet, which had always been pretty good, had just never been better because I was like, okay, I'm mm-hmm. going to be eating nothing but you know, meat and some eggs and maybe a little bit of dairy. And I'm going to, you know, cook everything at home. So I'm not getting all these weird oils in there. Yeah. And, um, I was already at a lean state. I was in great shape, but I lost like a couple pounds and I no longer had to really track anything. I noticed my digestion was flowing really well. I did not feel bloated at all. And I didn't have to track anything in my weight just stayed. I just was like, man, I just listened to my hunger cravings. I am, this is the good, this is the place to be, man. I am natural. I am a primal caveman listening to my instincts. This is the thing. Yeah. Um, and it was great until it wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. the, that clarity of the digestion, not having this, um, other foods that can like ferment in your system. And then I started to kind of feel like, man, I really need carbs. I can tell my energy's tank, my performance, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, you wait a little bit and then you get keto adapted. And I was just like, man, this is just, I am not feeling so good. Not to go off topic here, but um, just to get your opinion, isn't it interesting or, or do you think that some people maybe are just, you know, b- based on their makeup are just more able to go carnivore or something like that? Because there's definitely people that seem to be doing very well with only eating meat. Maybe their bodies just don't need 
fiber for, for some reason. So, um, I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of, of fiber, but what I will say is I think the, like I said, the state of a person as an individual in this moment will dictate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I literally just tweeted last night, like your ability to digest a food is predicated on foods you've eaten days or weeks prior. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. the, your ability, like you at this exact second, whoever you are, wherever you are, whenever you're listening to this thing, you are the product of however long you think that life exists and how it got here. Everything that you've done in your life, everything that your ancestors did, and everything has, this is a a pinnacle of this moment. Mm-hmm. And so every single one of those things, your genetics, the environment of every single one of your ancestors, your entire life, everything you've ever done right here culminates right now. That will dictate how anything you do affects you, right? Whether you want to call it genetics, epigenetics, you're setting the stage mm-hmm. for how things affect you. And so, you know, a lot of people through this kind of paleo-ish, keto-ish, low-carb thing, which has really kind of taken over the the mainstream fitness trends of the last decade or two, kind of alongside with veganism though, oddly enough, um, it's just a given that sugar is bad, that carbs are bad. And so what some people will say is, oh, you can handle carbs because like you're healthy enough to, or you're active enough to. And um, this guy who I think does a really good job with content, his name's Kyle Mamunas. He has a YouTube channel called Nutra Chronology, so like nutrition and endocrinology put together, put a little portmanteau, mm. where he says, you actually have to be healthy enough to do a low-carb diet. If you are really robust, just like if you, if that's you, interesting. If you thrive on veganism, that's not because – you were vegan your whole life and your ancestors were vegan because that, that person doesn't exist because it's not yeah. possible. Um, if you thrive on veganism, man, your grandparents probably ate a shit ton of butter and meat and lived on a farm or something. And you had incredible genetics or inherited nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can, all of these diets, which cut things out, create, do have benefits by cutting those things out, but they have drawbacks from, cutting out other things that you do want. Yeah. And so for you to quote unquote thrive on them, really you are getting by with an overly restrictive diet based on just basically think about like, if you had like a bajillion dollars and you had this like huge waste of, of, of money thing, it might not Mm -hmm. affect you as someone who's like really poor. So you have this nutritional wealth to your system. And so the way that this guy Kyle framed it is like, the healthier you are, the longer you can get by on a low carb diet or like a carnivore diet. And yes, people are thriving. Like I, like I said, I felt amazing because I was cutting out things which were causing me problems. And oftentimes a lot of it is really like a bandaid, right? Like if you have a leak in your boat and you're like, you pull your boat, you know, out, out of the water and put it in your garage, you're like my boat stopped leaking. It's like, you just stopped putting water in it water on it. Right. So if you put the second, you put it back on the water, you didn't patch the leak. It's going to leak again. Right. And so that's what a lot of people are doing with these elimination diets like carnivore is they're just getting rid of everything that bothers the system, whether that be an irritation or, you know, their body is bad at like handling glucose and they go, man, I like solve my problem. It's like, no, you just got rid of the situation where the problem arises. And the second that you go back, if you ever want to use your boat again, Otherwise, mm-hmm. like, yeah, great boat you got in the garage, man. Like, I don't, you know, what is that good for? Right. Um, and so with the carnivore thing, it, I really, I always try to express as the people that this is a temporary elimination diet. This might tell you, give you better clear uh, clarity on what foods are bothering you. Um, and you might be clearing out a bunch of other inflammatory foods. But at some point you have to come back to like reality and actually solve the problem. Because if you do this for a long period of time, you're likely going to create some bad problems and potentially worse off than where you started, which personally I feel like is kind of what happened with myself going from carnivore and then going into this primal diet, which is an entirely raw diet, which cuts out salt, um, which, you know, like all of your food is cold. Um, 
I, I feel like all of that really hampered my system. Like I feel like it slowed how, down. How long how long did you do that that primal, the, the primal? raw diet for? Yeah. Um I would say like a hundred percent well, like, you know, ninety-nine percent strict around like ten months. Um yeah. and like I said, again, I feel great at the beginning of these things. And usually that thing is I have clarity of of my gut. I just have this I'm not bloated, which for if you've ever like dealt with bloat or any kind of weird intestinal distress where you've been constipated, mm-hmm. diarrhea or something like that, if that's gone for like a week or two, you're in heaven. Mm-hmm. You've just ha- you've all of a sudden just relieved this huge strain on the system that's really like bothersome, cumbersome, irritating, um, very distracting. And so I start I was feeling really, really, really good. And then I started to feel worse before I could realize it. And I think a lot of that is based on what I was doing. Yeah. I was giving myself like these really rich nourishing foods, but I wasn't giving my system other things that it needed. And I personally don't think a huge problem is of it being raw. Like I think raw meat is safe to eat. Um, I think it's, there's potential, an element of the fact that all of the food you're eating is cold and we might need some more warmer foods. Um, if, you know, if you get into Chinese medicine or, you know, Ayurvedic, uh, Indian stuff, they talk about this like digestive fire. Mm-hmm. And if you keep putting cold on the fire and not the right foods to stoke the fire, your digestion will actually get weaker. And I think, and a big part of that is the primal diet. You know, you don't eat salt on the primal diet. And it, the idea is that it's like this unnatural food is in this rock form. You should get your sodium from blood or celery juice. Um, and sodium salt is sodium chloride and your stomach acid is hydrochloric acid. And so your body needs that chlorine from somewhere to develop this strong stomach acid. Um, and so at some point, like, you know, I just started to get my energy got worse and my digestion got worse. And I started just being nauseous and couldn't really get down food until I eventually, you know, I don't really know what caused it. I, I mentioned in that video, but you know, I got a bunch of bug bites and then I got this weird rash and then I got what ended up, I mean, being sort of guessed at by a doctor as being meningitis, viral meningitis. Talking to someone since then, they said it could have been like West Nile virus because I literally got like hundreds of mosquito bites this one night sitting wow. by the fire at a marsh. So I don't know what caused that problem. I got really sick. I was like bedridden for for multiple weeks and it was like months long recovery. And I just, and like, you know, <laughs> I was just going to eat whatever I could to sort of get my strength back. And it was a lot of soup and salt warm food, mm-hmm. salt. Um, and I think what all of this, to kind of maybe sum all this up, I was in search of this religious kind of zealous purity of diet. I think I have this kind of innate, like, um, I don't know, quest for this like supreme good. Um, and you think that if you like, you'll reach this like state of whatever you want to call it, nirvana, heaven. I don't know. I'm sure every single ideology and religion has some like term for this, just like Mm -hmm. perfect state or something like that. And so that's why I was really drawn to like extremely strict diets. Cause I can adhere to anything like that. I can be really, I have really strong willpower with that. And I don't think that being strict is the bad thing, but I think was, I set my, my emphasis on that as opposed to what, will the diet actually do for my life as opposed to the diet within itself being the thing mm-hmm. to strive to switching the focus to what do I want to accomplish in my life. And I'll have the diet support that. And I, when ever since I sort of like really started to, to kind of switch that mindset around, you know, just like I was doing before is like, I'll eat anything if I believe it'll make me healthier. Um, which is why I was able to eat, you know, brains and balls and and rotten liver and all these kind of weird things. Cause I was like, I don't care. You know, some of the foods are actually surprisingly good, but I don't care if it's not that enjoyable, if it'll make me feel better, I will, I'll do, I'll do it because I want to feel better. Um, and so, yeah, I, now I'm just like way more open-minded. Um, and I think that there's a lot of ways to get to where you want to go. I still firmly believe that animal-based foods play an integral role in getting there. Um, if you want to go a vegetarian or vegan route, you're just making your things so unnecessarily hard for you. Um, and you know, I don't fear sugar. I think sugar is an incredible fuel source, fuel source for the body. I eat lots of fruit. 
um, juices, milk, honey, maple syrup, actual cane sugar, um, and you know, lots of salt. Man, I eat so much salt. It was funny that I that I ended up doing a no salt thing when I had always just been a huge craver of salt my whole life. Yeah. I'd always I love salt's amazing. So I love salty foods yeah. and I loved and I love the sweets like like the um you know maybe you can help me here or anyone <laughs> I've been trying to d- describe this um definition of how I crave sweets I never liked mm-hmm. the fruity snacks I wasn't into Skittles and Starburst and fruit roll ups I like you know chocolate bars Snickers ice cream cookies so there there's this element to kind of the more I don't know earthier nuttier something coffee chocolate nutty kind of aspect to the sweet foods i love ice cream i love gingerbread cookies and chocolate chip cookies and those kinds of things i think that's i think that's probably more traditional craving of sweets and not so much the uh i I think there's been our, our palates have been have been hijacked by these hyper palatable you know, like fruit roll-ups and high fructose corn syrup that's in sodas and all this stuff. I, I think what you're talking about is really how I crave sweets too. It's just more like really satiated sweets, you know, that it just, I don't know. It's like yeah, a chocolate it's like ice a, cream. Yeah. It's a, well, I guess it's, you know, it, it's fat with the sweet. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, ch- cacao butter, right. Which is mm-hmm. the thing around the little, the cocoa uh, that we eat. That is, just pure, like saturated fat. It's one of the best things you could eat. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'm really just kind of into, <laughs> I feel like, you know, obviously like this should make sense. I'm just looking to make myself feel good and being able to accomplish more in my life, things that make me feel better, um, work better, think better, um, just experience the, the, the world and life in a more full, um, an enjoyable way. Yeah. And this is one more question I wanted to ask you here before we go into the bonus. And then in the bonus, I'm going to ask you about your experience eating, uh, you know, bulls testicles and, and brains and all that stuff. Um, not exclusively. I got another, another question for you, but so I forget where I heard you talk about this, but it really resonated with me where you always hear people say, not always, but there's definitely a, a sect of people or, um, people on the internet, people on Twitter who say, we need to eat more like our ancestors ate. We need to have the diet of our ancestors. And I I used to, and still kind of sort of think that way, but I've kind of evolved in my thinking because our experience today is so different. There's different, you know, pollution and toxins and stresses and sleep and, you know, everything's different. It's a different world. I just want to get your your thoughts on, on, on that dynamic to, to diet. Well, you know, there's there's this really big push, which is very understandable, with the whole, like, return meme, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of good stuff there. I think our modern society has gotten very lost. We are very detached from where we came from, the way that we used to do things, both, like, maybe in a specific sense of, like, what your own specific ancestors might have done not that long ago, and then also maybe like, let's call it like the constraints that all people had before certain mm-hmm. types of technology. And then in a globalized world where everyone is now using the same technology from the exact same, you know, producer or whatever you want to call it. And so just like with anything that could be considered, you know, maybe even politically right-leaning or conservative, you're not trying to live forever in a past sense. And if you or I think you're going to find out that you're going to fail because time always does move forward. But like, not like in this, like, you know, weird progressive sense where we just need to change everything, but it's let's look to the past to best inform our future. And when it comes to diet, I think we can look at these traditional foods and go, why did these people make these foods? How did they make them? What does that do to the food? What is the nutritional composition of it? Hey, did you actually know that these foods have to be combined together to like work? Um, for you know, a lot of people might realize that like as a country, the United States is pretty much just eats corn in various forms. 
right? Like corn syrup <laughs> isn't everything. Corn starch isn't everything. Yeah. Corn chips, you know, everything has corn in it somehow. And uh, before we start, corn lobby stuff, is strong. It is very strong. And traditionally, what the what the natives in you know the Americas did because they had a lot of corn here was they did something called nixtamalization, which is where they mix the corn with mineral lime. And that, I forget the exact mechanism that it does it, but if you don't do that, you will develop B vitamin deficiencies. And so I think the mineral lime deactivates or neutralizes some type of thing which will deplete B vitamins in your system, or it'll allow you to extract more B vitamins from the corn. I forget exactly. I'm but, pretty sure that so my, my guest last week was the, the founder of I don't know if you heard of this company uh, Masa Tortilla Chips. Oh yeah, I know that guy. Have you heard of them? Yeah. And well, the, the their big selling point is that they're fried in uh, grass fed beef tallow, no no seed oils, but also I believe they have that nixamal nixamalization where, um, I don't know. You just you just explained. Yeah. It. I don't so know there about there it. are a, there are a number of chips on the market now, which use nixamalized corn, but they all use mm. high oleic sunflower oil, which is still not, not great. Um, but just using that as an example that like, you can't go like, let's say you are descendant from like the Aztecs or, you know, some native American tribe, like that's a big part Mm -hmm. of your population. And you go, I want to eat like my ancestors. So I'm going to eat Doritos. That's corn. I'm going to drink, you know, soda with high fructose corn syrup. It's like, no. And not just eating like corn on the cob, but corn produced in a certain way for a certain reason. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think this really strong and important element of anything ancestral comes from is understanding how and why they did things. And then using that to adapt to the world that we live in now. Like one of the things that I've kind of been harping on more lately is like, you can't ancestral your way out of the industrial revolution right? Even if you wanted to Mm -hmm. go full Ted Kaczynski and destroy the industrial world, you'd have to use technology to like nuke everything to then reset it. So, you you know, like I think there's a lot of power in eating raw meat and I think you should do it. Yeah. Eat raw liver, eat, you know, drink raw milk, do these things and understand that that is not going to be what beats against an enemy. If we want to call like the modern world and environment an enemy that Mm -hmm. has modern technology and weaponry. So, you know, I will just like, kind of like I would eat any food source. I will, at this point, I'm kind of a lot more open to doing or taking or supplements or whatever it is that, that, you know, is out there. But again, that is done in a certain way, you know, like you can get, if you go to the, the, you know, your local uh, health food store and you go into the little supplement section and you pick up a bottle of whatever, Mm-hmm. You'll see whatever the active ingredient is, and then you'll see a couple fillers, and you'll see like silica and titanium dioxide, and you might not think anything of it, but then you know you find out that silica is basically just like effectively powdered glass that is going to yeah. be ripping up your insides. And so, if you want to get the supplement, make it as not bad as possible. Absolutely, right. Yeah. So look towards whatever we have from the past, like use that knowledge, right? All, all of, of human existence, you know, maybe absent from these, if you're into the whole like Graham Hancock thing, like these various technological resets, you know, it's kind of like your ancestors said, like, eat that mushroom, not that mushroom, right? Like you've seen that Mm -hmm. meme where it's like, you're out there and one mushroom is food. The other one will kill you and the other one will send you (laughs) in outer space. Right. So it's like, who's, who's going to go out there and try them. Someone had to try them and report back what they did. And so you never want to like get rid of previous knowledge, but like, are you trying to, again, just like me sort of seeking this like perfectly pure diet, are you trying to live exactly like, like model a a perfect life of your ancestors, whatever that means, like which ancestors, which specific ancestor, like how does one do such a thing? But, but rather take, take what might have been, you know, if you believe in, I mean, there's, I guess at this point, there's probably various theories on how evolution works. But if you do believe that, at least within the last so many generations, what your ancestors did affected who you are biologically or, you know, what you're quote unquote meant to do, then use that as an, uh, to inform 
who you as an individual are because you aren't your ancestors. You are your own person. Just like I said, mm-hmm. this is a a uh, a culmination of all of whatever history is, however long it is, however it is we got here through whatever process to you as an individual now in this exact moment. And what is right for you in this moment is not what, you know, one of your ancestors did like 17 generations ago, right? It's this amalgamation of, of everything. Then recognizing that we don't live in that world anymore. We live in a modern world with, you know, weird ingredients in our foods with, you know, poison in our water, in our air, in our food, you know, uh, EMFs, whatever, you know, like you didn't, your ancestors didn't have like a cell phone in their pocket. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's an ancestral tool that like deals with cell phone radiation because they didn't have to develop it. Right. Like all of those things that they came up with were novel technologies at that point. And so, you know, use that kind of like, I don't know, right leaning conservative temperament in what are we really trying to do here? But if you want to get through whatever we're facing now, you're going to have to do something that, you know, your ancestors never heard of because right. what you're, what you're facing, they had never heard of either. Yeah. And it's, it's increasing more and more by the day, the, uh, the, uh, the gap between us and our ancestors, but of course. And like I said, you know, if, if you want to, what people need, they need to find what they actually want to achieve, right? Your life's achievement should not be diet. Your life's achievement should be things that your diet supports, that makes you healthier and happier and stronger, that gives you, you know, better descendants, right? Healthier children that you are strong enough to take care of, that you're uh, creative enough and driven enough to support them and teach them things and, and give them this incredible world to then, you know, go to the future because it's your ancestors did what they could for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Not, it's not necessarily for them in that moment, but it's all part of this thing here. And so it doesn't stop with, with us. So what using that, that kind of idea, think about what it is you actually want to accomplish because versus one diet necessarily, I mean, I do think there are such things as bad diets, but one, th- a lot of things are just trade-offs. And so if, you, if you're like at a fork in the road and you want to go left and you're right, it's not always like the, you know, that meme where it's like the dark, scary thing with the trees that have no brand or no leaves. And then like the, mm-hmm. the sunshine in the castle. Sometimes it's just, it's just this castle and that castle. And the only preference is like what your own flair or interest is. Yeah. And so if, if you don't make a de- delineation and a choice between, you know, I prefer that versus that you don't know whether to go left or right. And it, so I really like the way you put that. Your diet really um, should should inform and align with what you want your legacy to be. And yeah, sometimes you don't know which way to go or where to start. And I mean, look at yourself and kind of the journey you've been on. Sometimes you need to to go down some other paths and then kind of turn around. And that's not necessarily a bad experience or wasted experience. That was valuable, and you've learned from it. And you're you know you're you're informing others too. Um, and it's just a part, I mean, it's a part of, of who you are. So I think that's, I think that's really important and really cool. Um, I do, I do want to go to the bonus show, but before I do that, um, can you, uh, you know, provide your, um, you know, links and, uh, your, your, your podcast where people can find that, of course they can find it wherever podcasts are found, I assume, but, uh, anything else you want to plug? Yeah. I mean, the, honestly, that's, that's it right now. Um, some things I'm working on, but, uh, whatever's out there. You can follow me on any social media at Josh Rayner gold. And my, my podcast is called Rayner radio. Um, Rayner is spelled R a I N E R. So yeah, that's on Spotify, Apple, whatever. And then I'm also on rumble. I'm on YouTube as well, but my episode got taken down because we talked about the vaccine. (laughs) Um, too much, a little, a lot, too much. the whole episode was about that. Um, well, so that, YouTube, that you're talking that that was the episode with, uh, the guy who helped to make the, the died suddenly documentary, right? Yes. Yeah. So okay, that got yeah. pulled down within like hours. Um, <laughs> so I do, I, I will post future episodes on YouTube. I probably won't make it on YouTube very long. Um, but it's on rumble and yeah, I th- I'll probably, I, I need to get it on BitChute and stuff too. Yeah. Um, but you know, pretty much everything, if you follow me on, I'm most active on Twitter, you can kind of stay updated on where things are there. All right. Joshua Rayner. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah. Thanks, John. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Really excited about today's episode, today's guest. We're going to get to that shortly. But first, I want to tell you about uh, a new perk that um, I have added to the Lions of Liberty Pride. With I'm going to try to do this with all of my guests, a, a bonus segment, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes, um, really digging deeper into the topics discussed on, uh, on that show. So this week with my guest, Joshua Rayner, um, planned on doing 15 minutes bonus, and we talked for about 35 minutes. So if you want to get that bonus content, all you have to do is join the Lions of Liberty Pride. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. Join for as little as five bucks a month and you'll get access to that bonus content. There's a, It's really easy to actually add the, uh, the Patreon bonus feed to your, your podcast player. You can add it in. So after you listen to, to today's episode, you can just jump over and listen to that, uh, that bonus conversation. So please check that out. And of course, last week, um, I had the, uh, the conversation with the founder of Masa Chips, uh, Stephen Arena, also known as Really Tan Man on Twitter. And we did a bonus segment too, talking about the, the chip making process and digging deeper into those details. So join the Pride to get that stuff. And also, if you're in the Pride, if you've forgotten, we have a perk for Run Your Mouth Coffee where you can get 10% off at the $10 and up levels uh, in the Pride. So join the Pride, drink coffee, run your mouth coffee. It's a, a company that I founded with my friend, Ben Panji. Um, it's awesome, awesome coffee. And uh, if you follow us on the social medias, especially on Instagram and uh, and Facebook, you'll see that we support free speech and uh, you're going to agree with basically everything we post. So support like-minded people. Uh, join the Pride and support Run Your Mouth Coffee. That's all I got for today's show. The uh, for today's intro, I should say, the show itself is is incredible. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this. Um, I've wanted to talk to Joshua for many months now, and uh, definitely um, turned out great. The interview turned out, you know, even better uh, than I could have expected. So, looking forward to uh, hearing the feedback from you all. Let's get into today's show. 